I don't know about you, but I am constantly amazed at God's grace and forgiveness and love in my life. You know, when I look back and over the things of my past and things that I regret, things I wish I could have changed, and know that he covers that, that he forgives me, that he gives me grace, he sets me free, he frees me from those things, but not just the things of the past, but also the things of the present, because once you give your life to Jesus Christ, we're all a work in progress, right? And to think that God even loves me in the midst of that process, even when I'm not perfect, even when I don't get it all together, that he still loves me. And I, and I test that a lot because I'm not perfect. I'm kind of a mess and I, I blow it. But to know that God's grace is there is amazing. The process continues and we're not made perfect until we get to heaven. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham Bell, has on her gravestone, uh, thank you for your patience, construction now complete. Because isn't that the truth? I mean, when we get to heaven, that's when we're finally complete. But until that time, we're all in process, and God's grace covers us in that process, and it's a wonderful thing. And I'm blown away by his mercy and his grace in my life, and how even in that process, he does things that blow my mind. And I remember when I became a pastor, I kind of made a commitment to God that any time he called me to teach the gospel or preach the gospel or share with somebody the gospel, that I would jump in with both feet. And I would take advantage of those opportunities and some pretty cool opportunities would come my way I want to share with you by his grace and his grace alone. First one is tonight uh, at 6 o'clock. I'm going to be preaching in the worship service at the new Lisbon Correctional Facility in our state. And so uh, I would covet your prayers. Over 100 inmates are going to be there. And um, God is doing some amazing things in this facility. I talked to the chaplain this week. He said last week they did a, a baptism service and seven inmates gave their life to Jesus Christ and were baptized and so uh, please be praying for that for me at 6 o'clock this evening. I'll be there doing that. And then another kind of wild thing has happened. Uh, last Tuesday, uh, I was appointed uh, one of 122 uh, volunteer chaplains with the United States Secret Service. So I was down in Washington, D.C. for some orientation and training, and I was blown away by this opportunity that God has given me. So what does that mean? Uh, that I'm not giving up my day job. Don't worry. Uh, this is a volunteer thing. So once a month of my day off, uh, I'll be going to uh, your Milwaukee or Chicago field office, and the purpose is to build trust with the uh, agents that are there. Um, you may not know this, but the suicide rate amongst law enforcement and fire and EMS in our country is skyrocketing. It's just skyrocketing. And I think uh, it's going higher than what line of duty deaths are. Uh, and it's, we have to figure out ways to take the heroes of law enforcement, fire, and EMS and help them deal with the effects of this job. And chaplaincy is one of those things that God has given me the privilege to be a part of. And so my role will be to build relationships with the agents there so when things happen in their life, they feel enough trust where they can call and talk things through, much like I've been having the privilege to do with law enforcement people and uh, police and fire in our city. Uh, God has now expanded that, and so I'm really excited to be a part of that. Pastors have extra ministries. A lot of them have these extras. Some um, speak in different retreats and places around uh, the state. Some go overseas and train other pastors. Some write books. Um, God has given me this thing called chaplaincy uh, to exercise that. And I think it's a good thing because it's very difficult for a pastor to be around people who are far from God. 
You wouldn't think that's the case, but that's the case. It's really, I could surround my life with nothing but Christian people and people from this church, but it's hard for a pastor to be with the people who are very far from God. And chaplaincy allows me to do that, and I think that's an important thing for me as your pastor, but it's important for us as a church because as the pastor and as you, the people of this church, we have to embrace and embody our mission to love God, love others, and serve the world, and that includes me. And so when I'm up here and I'm encouraging you to go and live out the gospel and share the gospel with people who don't know, I have to be doing the same thing. And so this gives me an opportunity to do that. And so I'm thankful for that. So I uh, appreciate your prayers in this new journey and excited about what's going to happen. One of the things they taught us out there in Washington, D.C. this week is one of the roles of the Secret Service is to uh, chase after counterfeiters, those that are um, printing fake money. And so uh, they showed us how they train uh, the agents to discover and find counterfeit money. The two in the center are real. The two on the ends are fake. If you look at the top one, you can see uh, uh, Ben Franklin's eyebrows are a little bit higher than normal. That's because that's actually a $5 bill that was changed over to 100 And so they can't teach them all the different counterfeit schemes out there because they're just created all the time. But what they do, the way that agents are trained, is they train them on what is the real thing. They look at the real thing. They look at real currency. They know over and over it's drilled and pounded into the agent's head what the real thing looks like, what it feels like, what it even smells like. They, they just pound in their head the real, real thing so that any counterfeit that comes against it, they'll be able to right away tell that's not real. You could put a fake counterfeit bill in a stack of real ones and they'll f- go through it and all of a sudden they'll be able to pull it out and know this is the fake one. The same thing should be true of Christ's followers with the gospel. We should know the gospel so well that when we hear or see anything that comes against it, anything that's different, anything that distorts it, we should be able to call it out right away and say, no, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in our messages, we're diving into a new series going through uh, the book of Galatians. We're in a new series called Free, where we're going to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the apostle Paul is defending the gospel against a counterfeit gospel is coming forward. And he's defending it not only as we saw last week through Scripture and saying this is what the Bible says, but this week we're going to see that he's defending it because he's saying the gospel is true because of what it's done to my life personally. You see, the gospel isn't just this intellectual thing that we just look at on a piece of paper and agree with intellectually. He's saying, no, the gospel transformed my heart. The gospel entered into my life. The gospel made me a whole new person. And I stand before you as a testimony to God's amazing power. And we're going to see as he shares his story with us today that the gospel is powerful to impact and change life. If you weren't here last week, see, here's what was going on. Paul shared this true gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins with his group of people in Galatia, and he started a church. And right after he left, there's another group of people that came in called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers brought a counterfeit Christianity. They brought a counterfeit gospel to this group of people, and they said, you know, it's not like Paul said. It's a little different. This is what they told the people. They said, in order to be a Christian, you must follow some Jewish rules in addition to following Jesus. It says not just Jesus, you got to do a couple other things as well. 
And they were, in doing so, distorting the true gospel. And Paul is defending it and saying, no, that's not the case. There's something that you've got to keep pure. You have to keep the gospel what it is. And he says, this gospel is real, not just because of what the Bible says, but because of what it's done to my life. And we're going to take a look at that. So here's my question for us this morning. Do we allow this gospel to sink into our lives so it impacts us greatly? This is especially for us who've been around church for a while. We can hear this idea called gospel, and we could just kind of you know, let it just lay there or just let it be on something on the wall. But have we really taken it into our heart and let it sink down deep? Do we know the gospel well enough that we could pull out counterfeits against it? Do we know the gospel well enough that it's totally changed our life and made a difference before us? Some of you are here and you're saying, that's all great, but what is the gospel? What are you talking about? The gospel is the story of good news. The gospel is what makes Christianity Christianity. Here's a very simple form of the gospel. The, the gospel is simply this, that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross so that we can have a relationship with God that will last forever and we can live our lives fully for him. That's the gospel. It's as simple as it is. This is something we can't do on our own. You cannot behave yourself into heaven. You see, the Bible talks about how we have sinned and we have fallen short of God's glory and we stand apart from a holy God. We can't do enough good works to bridge that gap. We needed somebody who was perfect. We needed somebody who had a righteous stronger than us. We needed Jesus Christ to come. And Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life on earth that we couldn't. And then he went to the cross. And on the cross, he took your sin and my sin and paid for it so that now we can have access to God, a relationship with him, and live the way he intended us to live. That's the glorious good news. It's the glorious gospel. And this morning, as we look at Paul's life, we're going to see how real it is. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open up to the book of Galatians. Galatians is kind of, you go uh, towards the back. You go into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Keep going to the right. Go past Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then you'll come to Galatians. If you're using a Bible we have for you in this room, it's, I'll be on page 1031. But in this section of scripture we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see Paul's story of transformation. And we're going to see that it has three parts to it. It has before he met Jesus, when he encountered Jesus, and his life after being with Jesus. Before he met Jesus, when he encountered Jesus, and life with Jesus after that encounter. So let's look at this story of transformation. I want to begin by reading the first Two verses, verses 11 and 12 of Galatians chapter 1. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. He comes out with three negatives. He says that it was not of human origin, I did not receive it from a person, and it was not taught to me. This gospel is not from human beings. This gospel is not thought up in someone's head. This gospel is from God and God alone. And Paul's saying, the way I came to understand this gospel wasn't that someone sat down with me and said, Paul, here's the gospel. The way I came to understand it is all of a sudden Jesus Christ stood before me, knocked me off a horse. There's this huge revelation, and he taught the gospel to me, but it also impacted my life. This isn't from human beings. 
This is from God and God alone. It didn't come from the other apostles. They didn't originate it and bring it up. It came from Jesus Christ and him alone. And now he dives into the story of his life transformation. Look at verse 13 and 14. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. He's talking about his background in Judaism because these Judaizers were saying, you have to be a little bit Jewish. And he's saying, no, 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 I know that game. I played that game. Let me tell you, it has nothing to do with that. Paul's saying, here was my life before. I was on the way to Damascus. And what I was doing, I was going there to kill Christians. I was going there to stop out this thing called Christianity that was called the way. I was going there to make sure that this is no longer going to happen and that people follow God through Judaism. That's what I was doing. I was doing what these people who are coming to distort the gospel are doing to you. I was all about that. He said, I was running from God while thinking I was serving him. He said, I was convinced that I was God's instrument. Isn't it amazing how deceived we can be in our own self? Paul was convinced that he was God's instrument and he was going to kill Christians and stomp out the church. And he was convinced of it. That's why it's so important for us to give ourselves to this book, to keep us on track, to as we read this book, let it read us and guide us and move us in the way he wants. In verse 14, he talks about how he advanced beyond these things beyond the regular Jewish people of his day into these traditions, you would think that someone who knew the Old Testament as good as Paul did would know better. You'd think that the people when that were on the earth who were the Jewish leaders, when Jesus came, they would know what's going on. But oftentimes it's those that had the biggest knowledge of the Old Testament that we see in the New Testament have the hardest time understanding what the gospel is. You know why that is? Because the gospel is not an intellectual thing. The gospel is bigger than that. It requires a change of heart. The gospel is something that impacts your whole life. It's not just this thing you think of in your head. It's something you have to give your life to, to be transformed by. It affects everything. Do you sense God drawing you close to him? That's the Holy Spirit in your life pulling you closer to him. That's his desire. If you sense that, you need to pay attention to that and give yourself to that drawing. Give yourself to that leading so before Jesus, Paul was on his way to Damascus to kill and destroy. We're going to look deeper into what he was like in a second, but I want to dive into part two. Part two is encountering Jesus. Paul talks about how he encountered Jesus. He was on his way to kill, and then look at verse 15. But when God, boom, God came into the picture. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. This is amazing. God broke into him as he's on his way to Damascus. He's on his way to kill and persecute and destroy the Christian faith. God broke in. Later in the book of Acts, he describes with his own words what happened. I have him here on the screen, Acts 22. He says, I persecuted this way. This way is the Christian life or Christianity. I persecuted this way to the death 
arresting and putting both men and women in jail as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. This is what he was doing. He continues on in Acts 26. I actually did this in Jerusalem and I locked up many of the saints in prison. Since I had received the authority for that from the chief priests, the Jewish leaders, when they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme since I was terribly enraged at them. Do you hear the the passion of hatred? Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities to hunt them down. This is what he was like before. This is his description in his own words. He was set on death and destruction. Then comes the moment, the greatest moment in a human being's life. And right in the beginning, the first three words of verse 15, he was all about that rage then, but when God. God broke into this rage. God broke into this hatred. God broke into this evil. God broke into this heart that was so far from God and turned his life around. You see, sometimes we look at people who are so far from God and we think there's no way that person could ever become a Christian. You know, that's where Paul was. Paul was in that spot where there's no way. People, in fact, once he became a Christian, the church heard he became a Christian. They said, no, 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 we know that Paul guy. We're not going going there. That guy is dangerous. You see, he was so far from God, people couldn't even believe it. Don't ever give up on a person that's far from God because they're not too far gone. God can invade their life like they did Paul. In this encounter with God, we see two things. In the encounter with God, we see two things. First of all, number one, God calls us his own. It says in verse 15, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart, called me by his grace. When God calls you a child, it changes your heart and your life. And God calls us to him before we were born. I know it's something that can blow your mind, but it's true. It's right there. Every Christian is called before they are born in their mother's womb. God marks them to be converted. God's hand is on them. And we saw that in the life of Paul. From his infancy, his education, his experiences, his poor choices, his regrets. God says, we're going to take all that stuff, even the things you regret, Paul. I'm going to redeem that. We're going to make a story out of it, a transformation that's going to be absolutely amazing. See, that's who God is. When we come before him, he changes our life. He forgives us and he cleanses us and he sets us free. So he calls us his own. The second thing that happens when we encounter God, he calls us by his grace. After setting him apart, God invaded Paul's life with his grace. We talked about grace last week. We said the grace, the technical term is unearned favor towards God. Remember Dan's term for grace is that God loves you and likes you just because. God loves you and he likes you just because. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try to do a bunch of good things to get God's favor and pleasure in your life. God just loves you just because. That's his grace and he wants us to receive that. When we receive it, it transforms our whole life. You see, grace broke into Paul. Paul was destroying the church. He had no good thing among him. Grace came into his life. 
Paul tasted how good God is and it changed everything. It's an absolute amazing experience because when God comes in with his grace, it transforms your soul and makes you a new person. So that was Paul's life before then Paul had this encounter with God. Now let's look at what Paul's life was like with Jesus after that encounter. Look at verse 16. God broke in to reveal his son to me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. He says that. We're going to talk about that more next week because he wanted these people to know this wasn't a human origin thing. This was from God. I didn't talk to anybody. It was God alone coming into my life. But when you encounter Christ, a couple amazing things happen. First, you have a new life where you are connected with God forever. You are brought into a communion, into a friendship, into a relationship with God because of the cross of Jesus Christ, and you are brought into that forever. It lasts forever. So when you die, you know that you will spend eternity with Jesus Christ, and the only way you can do that is by giving him your life here on earth. And when you give him your life here on earth, when you repent and believe and ask him to come in and you decide to follow him, boom, you are made a Christian and you are connected with him and that will connect all the way through eternity. It's an amazing thing. And we talk about that a lot in church. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, something else happens that we probably need to talk about more as well. And it's right there in verse 16 to reveal his son to me so that I could go to heaven with him forever. Is that what it says? No, it's true, it's a good thing, but he says he revealed his son to me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. You see, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he gives you a mission to carry out in this life. He takes you and he sets you free, he forgives you, he loves you, but then he doesn't do that just so you can sit and glory in his love and forgiveness and grace. As good as that is, we need to glory in that and rest in that, but he puts you on a mission in his kingdom in this world. You're not where you are just because you are. You are where you are in life, in your job, in your family, in your neighborhood, and where you live and where you work. You are there because God has placed you there to be on mission for him. You see, the kingdom mission of God isn't just for pastors and missionaries. It's for everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. You have a mission. It's not just for the apostle. When you are saved, God gives you a mission to carry out. That's why the mission of our church is to love God, love others, and serve the world. We want to be about that mission. When you come to Jesus Christ, it's not just for your own benefit. God saves you to be on mission to proclaim what Jesus did for all humanity. Professor Mary Poplin from Claremont Graduate School said she met Jesus in a dream. At the time, she was teaching radical feminism, multiculturalism, and postmodernism. She said she, was a devote, uh, she devoted herself to new age spirituality, and she claims that she was the poster child for spiritual but not religious. She says, I was seeking happiness, self-fulfillment, and freedom from all restraint, all the while deluding myself about my own goodness. I was a product of the I'm okay, you're okay culture. And yet in certain moments, she said, I could see glimpses of who I really was. I was not growing more and more free. 
My heart was growing harder. My emotions were growing darker. And my mind was becoming more and more confused. Then in 1992, she had an unshakable dream of Jesus at the Last Supper. She said she fell asleep and then all of a sudden she saw Jesus in the Last Supper and she said she walked to him and when she got to Jesus and looked into his eyes, she said she immediately grasped the fact that every cell in her body was filled with filth. Weeping, she fell at his feet and then he reached over and he touched her shoulders and she said, instantly I felt peace. She reached out to a friend and told her friend about the dream and her friend suggested that she goes to church and start reading her Bible. And in January 1993, she was sitting in a tiny little church where the pastor talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ and and invited people to give their life to him and she did. She prayed, if you are real, please come into my life. Forgive me for my sin and make me new. And she said, at that moment, I felt that same peace I felt in that dream. She said, coming to Christ has not only changed my personal life, but it also changed my career, my intellectual life as well. My scholarly work has always focused on the best ways to educate the poor. So in 1996, she said, I spent two months in Calcutta with Mother Teresa, attending to sick infants, performing cleaning tasks, and running supplies for the orphanage and the house that was there. One day, she says, I was sitting on a bench when Mother Teresa herself walked straight up to me and put her finger in my face and said, not everyone is called to serve the poor like we are here, but God calls everybody to their own personal Calcutta. Go and find yours. She said when she resumed teaching that year, she knew she found her Calcutta. She began to weep before she entered class, realizing that God had called her to minister to these students and bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You see, she gave her life to Jesus Christ, and God didn't like, you know, she did a short-term mission trip, but God didn't radically pull her out and give her a whole new thing. He took her regular life and made it so she was on mission with God to bring many people before him who would know him. See, Paul's life was transformed and it changed everything. He had a whole new purpose in verse 16 to preach to the Gentiles. Think about that. He had this Jewish nationalism pride. The Gentiles were as low as you could imagine in his sight. He was racist beyond belief. He had a hatred for them. They were good for nothing. And then Paul says, I was so radically changed by God's love and grace that I realized God's plan for me was to reach out to the people I could care less about. You see, he's laying this all out before this group because he wants to tell them that the true gospel changes your life. You can't make that stuff up. You can't have this intense hatred towards these people and all of a sudden God invades your life, changes your heart, and now you love them in a fake way. You can't work that up by human will. You can't work that up by human devotion. That is only done when Jesus Christ invades your soul and makes you new. And that's what Paul happened to Paul. And he's saying, here's what's going on. God's changing my life with this stuff. I'm a different person. If you knew me before, you totally wouldn't recognize me now. You think this gospel is fake? No, 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 this gospel's real because it changes lives. And then you know what else is amazing? Notice he says that when God did this, he called me to preach to the Jewish people? No, he called me to preach to the Gentiles. That's significant. 
You know why? Because Paul was as Jewish as they can't come. It says in Philippians chapter 3 that Paul, when he lists his, lit, his lit, uh, litany of his life and his heritage and his legacy, he's as Jewish as you can become. He knew the Jewish law backwards and forwards. He's an extremely intelligent person. He had a zeal for the Jewish law like no one else. It would only make sense that God would send him to save Jewish people because he knows the game. He knows what they believe. He knows all their stuff. But God doesn't do that. God sends him to the place that he feels the most uncomfortable. He sends him to the Gentile people, the people he can't relate to, the people he doesn't know. Why does God do that? Why does God send him to something outside his comfort zone, outside how, who he trained him to be? Because it's there that he relies on Jesus Christ. He doesn't rely on his own self. You see, sometimes we can come and God gives us our mission and we can say, okay, thanks, I got this mission, but I'm only gonna stay comfortable but then God will take and he'll push you to do something in your life that you feel you have no business doing. He will take you to those places that scare you to death and say, this is what I want you to do. And you'll sense in your gut you're supposed to do it, but you're not going to want to do it because you're afraid. And God says, yes, this is why I want you here, because in that place you depend upon me. See, God wants us to be in the place of ministry where we depend upon him, not where we just can do that with our eyes closed. Because when we do that with our eyes closed, we rely on our own abilities. When we're pushed to something that freaks us out, we're pushed into Christ and we beg for his help. I will be there tonight at 6.15, I guarantee you. I'll be standing before in this correctional facility. I'll be saying, God, unless you show up, I am done. What in the world am I doing here? But God puts us in those places. See, I learned early on, I didn't want to get into chaplaincy and things at at first because I knew how desperate and dark some of those situations are and how uncomfortable. But I remember God said, I'm going to take you to some real, real broken places. But if you trust me, you'll find me there right with you. And that's true ministry. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he he doesn't always take you out and give you a whole new life. He keeps you in the life he has you, but he brings about circumstances that may be way out of your comfort zone. But that's his goodness and his grace because what he wants you to do in those places is lean into him and trust him. And when you do that, you know what happens? God shows up. And when God shows up, It's not just an intellectual belief. It changes everything. It changes lives. It transforms souls. It transforms hearts. The gospel is an amazing, amazing thing. That's Paul's story and a little bit of mine. But what about you? Do you have a story of transformation? Do you know the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ? I want to put back up that simple gospel Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross so that we can have a relationship with God that will last forever and we can live our lives fully for him. Have you done that? Do you live that? Do you get that? If you are here and you have never gotten to that place where you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and said, you know what, I want to be done with my life and I want to live for you, today is the day to do that. Just go before him. All you have to do is say, God, will you enter my life? Will you forgive me of my sin? I want to follow you the rest of my days. And then you just begin walking out that decision. And there's people here who'd love to help you with on how to do that. If you haven't done that, let today be the day. But now I want to talk to you who have done that. 
Maybe you're here and you're saying, yes, I know what that's like. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I have a question for you. Have you allowed this gospel to sink in and transform your life? You see, sometimes in Christianity, we have this idea that the gospel is the doorway in, and once we get in, then we just forget that, and we go on to the deeper things. We should never, ever, 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 ever leave the gospel. We don't go beyond the gospel in Christianity. We just go deeper into it. So I want to ask you, have you gone deeper into the gospel? Do you know how much God loves you? Do you think through and fathom the love of God that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sin? Do you know the depth of your sin and how holy God is and how dark and and horrible your sin was and how desperate of a situation you were in and that God, by his grace and his mercy, fixed that problem through the cross of Jesus Christ to give you new life and bring you into a relationship with God? Do you know and understand that? Do you get that? Do you know that God is calling you now to be on his mission, to live out that amazing act of love, the greatest act of love that's ever been given to the human race, and how he's calling you to live out that love in the world you're in? Do you get that? Do you know that? Do you know that your job and your family and your neighborhood are not there just for you to take in, but they're there for you to be on a mission, to take this amazing story and to catapult it to all areas of life? Do you get that? Do you let that sink in? As Christians, we are never to go beyond the gospel. We're just called deeper into that. So here's what I want you to do this week. On the back of your bulletin, on the bottom, there's something that I'm going to encourage all of us as Crossview to do, to take and book 30 minutes this week, 30 minutes between tonight and next Sunday morning. Carve out 30 minutes. And I want you to sit with that, what's written on your bulletin. I just want you to think through this a little bit. Think through, what was my life like before Jesus? You see, sometimes we talk about becoming a Christian, and people will say things like, well, I was raised in a Christian home. I was always a Christian. And I kind of get what they mean, but here's the deal. No one's born a Christian. You have to give your life to Jesus Christ. There's an act where you make it real for yourself. And so think about, what was your life before Jesus? Then think about what was it like to encounter Jesus? And for some, that's like an instantaneous boom thing like Paul. For others, that's a process. But there's this encountering that happens. Think about what the encountering time was like for you. And then think about now what is life with Jesus like? What has he called me to? What am I supposed to be about? What is, he, what is the mission God has given me? Who are the people I should be praying for who are far from God that I want to see know this? Take some time and reflect on these three areas of your life. Give some thought to this so we allow the gospel to sink deeper into our lives. The gospel is so precious because it calls us to God. And when it calls us to God, it changes our life. So let's pray this goes deeper into our lives this morning. Father in heaven, I thank you for this amazing gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ that declares to us your goodness and your grace. I thank you that you meet us where we're at as enemies of you, far from you. And because of the power of what you did on the cross and the power of your spirit, you draw us close and bring us into relationship with you. God, I ask the reality of that for those of us that have done that will go deeper in our hearts. And for those of us that haven't, God, I just ask that you would meet them where they are right now. 
whisper your words of love and grace and mercy that transform. And God, I pray that you'd help us all as the Crossview Church family to be on mission with you, to live out this amazing act of love that takes people far from you and brings them close to glorify your name. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.